Well, good morning. If you would, take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And while the orchestra and choir are going down, thanks for helping us today in our worship of the Lord. And while you're turning there, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. What a wonderful morning it has been. Watching your son come up this morning, cool of the day, recognizing your presence, coming and getting to be with my brothers and sisters in a smaller group in ABF, getting to just hear their stories of their families and of their lives and getting to pray for one another and opening your scriptures and sharing and encouraging one another, being able to come together as a church, singing your praises with deep words. Pray our hearts would be undistracted. I pray that you'd help us to be present here for these few moments. In fact, be present in your presence. I pray we'd realize what an incredible blessing and privilege it is to be able to come and be together as believers this morning and to be able to freely share your word together and to be able to then encourage and pray and love one another and then go from this place into a a dark world and be your people in it. So God, I pray as we leave today, we leave that you're blessed and Lord, you've spoken to our hearts and help us, Lord, to, to again put everything away for these moments May your word and your spirit be able to speak to us, we ask in your precious name. Amen. In 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5, for many of you, you could quote this. You've heard it over and over and over again, and, and I promise you this will be the last time you'll hear it. You'll hear something from um, Titus next week, so hopefully that will encourage your hearts. Verse 5 says, for this very reason... And that reason is in verses 1 through 4, talking about our great salvation in the first part of it, our justification. And now Peter switches, as you well know, here in verse 5, because he begins to talk about our sanctification. That is what God is going to be doing in our lives from now until we die or Jesus comes, our sanctification And part of our sanctification is that it is the Spirit of God in us enabling us to obey and follow His Word and His footsteps as we grow into the image of Jesus Christ. So this is our sanctification. It's a lifelong process. It will never end until death or Jesus comes. And so that is why it says, Make every effort with all diligence you and I are to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness or perseverance and perseverance with godliness is that's what we'll be dealing with this morning and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing... In other words, again, lifelong, you and I are to be endeavoring in growing in all of these. 
they are to be increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So if you would, I want you, if you will, take a left and go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, probably the classic verses when it comes to talking about godliness. Paul is writing to a young man, Timothy. Timothy's come to know the Lord. He has been called into the ministry, and so Paul is discipling him and encouraging him in the way. And he says to this young man, again, it's probably a classic verse of talking about godliness. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. If you would just listen, the Phillips translation says it like this. Take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Bodily fitness has a certain value. But spiritual fitness is essential both for this present life and for the life to come. So I just want to again uh, answer three questions. And here's the first one. What is godliness? What is godliness? And of course, we've all heard, and we know this is true, right? That cleanliness is next to godliness, right? That's in second hesitations if you want to look that up later, because it's not in the Bible at all. And so we want to talk about what does the Bible talk about godliness? I want you, if you would, look on the left side of your worship guide. There's a quote from Jerry Bridges I would highly recommend this book. It's called Respectable Sins. And what he does is he takes many things that we might say these are just small things and how we use those. And he says in there, ungodliness. And so what is godliness? Well, here's what it's not, which sometimes helps us understand, well, this is what godliness is or when you look at the opposite. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, his will or one's dependence on God. And Jerry Bridges says, I believe that all other acceptable sins can ultimately be traced to this root sin of ungodliness. I agree with him. When you and I, ungodliness of not giving any thought to God or any of our thoughts towards Him or our dependence, we tend to quickly forget that He is there and then other things pop up. And so I would say, and it's not in the Bible, but this would just be my encouragement, is that you set your heart in the mornings for the Lord. In other words, in the morning... Get in His presence and be present in His presence. In other words, start your day off if ungodliness is defined by living uh, or having little or no thought of God, His will or your dependence, then begin your day with God and set your day that like, oh, I am in His presence. This is His will. This is what I 
need to do. And again, that's not the Bible to like do it in the morning, but I have to tell you, for me personally, it has to be first thing in the morning. I don't even talk to Sherry first thing in the morning. I'm so ungodly first thing in the morning, I can't talk to Sherry. I, I have to be present in God's presence, acknowledge that I am with Him and I am utterly dependent on Him. Thanking Him that He brought me through the night. I was unconscious. And yet, He kept everything going without any of my help. It's amazing every morning that life is still going, the world's still turning, right? But He was in full control, never slumbered or slept, and starting your day out. I would encourage that. There's another quote by John MacArthur. If you look at that, godliness is a right attitude and response toward the true Creator God. A preoccupation from the heart with holy and sacred realities. It is respect for what is due to God and is thus the highest of all virtues. And so what I want to do for just a little bit, I want to, if you would, take a hard left, go to Proverbs chapter 3, and I want to just go kind of in an orderly way, and so you'll just be able to turn to your right in your Bible as we walk through a few passages where I want you to see of what it's talking about of having a Godward life. Godliness is a Godward, like your mind and your heart and all that is about you is set towards God. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It is an everyday thing where you set your heart, your mind, everything about you. It is God word, godliness. So I want you to see it once again. So Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6 is probably one of the most famous verses. You can get plaques of these all over the place. They, this is like the most quotable verse ever. You could probably actually quote it as I read it to you, but I, I want you to hear it again, and I want you to hear kind of the heart of it because it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And here's what I believe is the heart of it. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge. And so the opposite of acknowledging would be what? Ignoring. We've all experienced this, right? You walk into the room and either someone acknowledges your presence or they ignore you. They do not acknowledge that you are there. And that's quite hurtful, right? And so it's acknowledging, it's recognizing one's presence, one's position, one's value. And it's not just other people, but when we come to talk about God, is that we are acknowledging, we are recognizing His presence we, and His position, which is what? The highest position of anything in the world and of His value. To not acknowledge, it's to ignore, it's to disregard, Ultimately, it is to dishonor, which displays one's aloofness, unawareness, lack of humility, and I'm just talking about myself, lack of respect, distracted by everything else. And so to not acknowledge God in all our ways is to take 
the most holy, important, most valuable being in the universe. And to not even recognize him because of some other trivial thing in my life. Trivial. It just takes trivial things, little things, to cause us to forget and not acknowledge him. And so, again, maybe when you see this verse on a plaque and you go like, man, I know that verse. The heart of it is what? In all your ways, you are acknowledging God. In all your ways, you are God word. In every little decision, in every thought, in every relationship, in anything you do at your job or in your marriage or at home, or when you're by yourself and nobody else is looking except God, and that you are acknowledging Him in everything that you do. If you would, take a now a hard right and go to 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 10, verse 31. And if you want, there in your worship guide, you see the passages you're going to go to, so you can go ahead and find those if you want. And, uh, or if you can't find them, that's okay. You can look them up later. But again, here we have another really um, familiar verse. But listen to it once again. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. In other words, in all that you do, acknowledge Him as worthy. In all that you do, you acknowledge God, this is what you say in your word concerning this situation that I'm in, and this is what I am to do. You are always Godward. If you would, take another right and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, if you know this verse, it is talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about husband and wife relationships. And then it goes on to parenting relationships. And so one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit is what? Submitting to one another. Because verse 21, Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, we're acknowledging that we are in the presence of God as we are submitting to one another. If you would, take a right. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Bond servants, or if you have a job and you work for someone, you could kind of put you there. And it says this, that you and I, verse 22, are to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, being someone who works for somebody and you're only doing what you're supposed to be doing because they're watching you. You're always looking out to see if someone's watching you. But when no one's watching, you just kind of do your own thing. Well, this is saying whether your boss is watching or not, that you and I are to do our job. How does it say it? It says, not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In other words, we're not watching to see if the boss is watching us. We're working because we realize the ruler of the universe is watching us. 
And that godliness is what? We're acknowledging that God is the supreme being and that he sees everything I do. He knows every one of my motivations. He knows every thought in my mind and my heart. He knows every word that's about to come out of my mouth before I ever speak it. And so we're before this incredible being. We're living our lives Godwardly in everything that we do. Then again, if you would, take a right and go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's just interesting, isn't it? 1 Peter was written to Christians who were being tortured and persecuted, and yet in the midst of it, Peter says to them, when it comes to being subject to those who are in authority, that's what we're to be. We're to be subject to those in authority over us. Because verse 13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake. That's important. You and I can be subject to earthly authorities for the Lord's sake. In other words, recognizing that God is the supreme being, there is no one in more authority to the Him, and that the heart of the King, the President, those in Congress, whoever is in office, that their heart is in His hand. And he can turn it any which way he pleases, Proverbs 21. And so we do this for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to it be to the emperor as supreme. So in other words, godliness is living our life Godward in every situation that we have. So my question would be this then. Why do we need it? I mean, it sounds right, like, yes, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. Why should I do it this way? Well, back, if you would, to the classic verse, if you would, 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. And we'll camp out there, so kind of maybe keep your finger or something there so you can look at it once again. Because it says this. This is why. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life. So Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you and I are to live our lives godly, Godward, because living godly has promise for this present life. And so for just a few of those, we couldn't cover every one of them, but just for a few, I want you, if you will, go back to the Old Testament, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, many of you know this verse as well. Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Godward, you're delighting yourself in the Lord. I used to think I would delight myself in the Lord. He's going to give me everything I want. I remember a Harley Davidson driving down the road, and I'm like, hey, I delight in you, Lord. Why don't I have one of those? I kind of thought that's what it meant. 
when I really realize, when I delight in the Lord, He changes my heart to delight in the things that He delights in, and He loves to give what He delights in. So delight yourself in the Lord, and just another way of saying, live your life godly, because then He gives you the desires of your heart. Just a quick story. It's been several years ago. It was on a Saturday morning. I got this text. The text said, is it true that your wife said that if God gave you a Harley Davidson, you could have one? And I said, well, yeah, that's kind of how the conversation's gone with her, you know. So he said, I have four of them, and you can have one. Well, of course, right? I'm not afraid to say, I'm delighted to say that my heart had changed. Now, if you have a Harley, that's okay. I'd like to write it. But I said, thank you, but no thank you. Isn't that just like God? I wanted one so bad. He knew I didn't need one. He had watched me ride as a kid on a mini bike. He said, you don't need anything else. <laughs> We're not giving that to you, no. But it was okay because my heart had changed. Psalm 84, if you would, verse 11. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Godliness holds promise for this life. I would have to say, and this is what I wrote, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Haven't you realized if you've grown in your faith that forgiveness is one of the greatest things you could ever have? And a clear conscience is one of the greatest gifts you could ever have. Again, this is not the prosperity gospel. Contentment is one of the greatest gifts God could ever give you. Proverbs 19, if you would, verse 23. Proverbs 19, 23. You hear this particular phrase over and over again throughout, especially the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 19.23 begins that the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied and will not be visited by harm. The fear of the Lord. If you would, Proverbs 22, just flip over a little bit. Proverbs 22 verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. And you can turn there if you'd like, but most of you probably know this, but Matthew 6:33 Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." Again, over and over again, living a Godward life, recognizing, acknowledging God in every mundane 
moment of your life in every situation, every situation, and you respond accordingly because your life is Godward towards what would please Him and what would best honor Him and what He wants good for you and I to live a godly life, that there is promise for this life. But listen to the rest of that verse because it says godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So if you would, just listen. I want to read Philippians 3. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to that which lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Godliness, what? It has promise for this life and for the life to come. If heaven were not enough of a reward, seeing Jesus face to face, eternal life without the presence of sin or sorrow that we experience in this earthly life. As if that was not enough. Bible is clear that he gives rewards. They'll be given to us. You ever thought, what are you going to do with those? Like in your mansion, are there going to be shelves and showcases to put your rewards in, and when people come over for dinner, I don't know if that's going to happen, anyway, but anyway, they come, and you can show them all your rewards, or do you wear them around your neck around heaven, going like, looky here, you know, or the, you got a crown on your head, and you're styling it off, like, like what are you going to do with those things? Like, well, just listen. I think it gives us an idea. Revelation chapter 4 says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will They existed and were created. And why would you want to live a godly life that holds promise for the life to come? Because man, don't you want to have something to throw at his feet? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? He would give you and I rewards. Well, of course, you just throw them right back at his feet. So how do you grow in godliness? How do you grow in it? 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Haven't talked about that. So I just want to kind of take that and all that it means and kind of put it in one word. 
distractions. It just distracts from godliness. Silly, irreverent myths, folklores, babblings, teachings, distractions. Things that clutter, rob your focus and energies from the essentials of godliness. Life is full of distractions. It is so full. And so just think, if godliness is that your life is Godward, like in everything and every moment of your life and your thoughts and all of that, and that's why you need to, it's an everyday thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. You and I meet once a week. God knew that we needed once a week to all get together and help one another with His Word and His Spirit to reset like, hey, there's been some areas of life that haven't been Godward, and so like we stop. But it's not just a Sunday thing because come tomorrow morning, I need to start the day off with what? I need to set, reset my life that it would be Godward in everything I do today. And whoever I meet and whatever I do and the thoughts that come and flood my mind. And yet the thing is, distractions, what do they do? They keep you from what? Godwardness. Godliness. And so distractions, there are so many of them. They're encumbrances. In fact, some of them we wouldn't consider to be sinful. But yet they encumber us in such a way that our focus gets away from a Godward life, just distractions. So I'm going to ask you to do something, and no one has to see your bulletin, but I just want to ask you, I would love for you right now to think about, and here I'm, I'm going to ask you to think about your number one distraction. And yet aren't we here to have no distractions? But So my, here's my deal. What is your number one distraction? Write it down and do something about it. Write it down and do something about it. Your distraction might be your cell phone. I just want you to know, we survived before cell phones. Just want you to know. I'm just telling myself that. I want a flip phone. I want a flip phone. Do they have flip phones? I don't know. But anyway, I want a flip phone. But we survived before them. The average person touches their flip phone, 2,500, a flip phone, their iPhone, 2,500 times a day. The average person touches it, looks at it, waits for it to buzz. Distractions. Internet, television, sports, mingling now I know. But the deal is distractions. It just clutters up life, and it causes one to realize, oh, my whole heart is not Godward because I have a distraction. I would encourage you to name it, write it down, and do something about it. Because Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train. Many of you already know this, but we get the word gymnasium from the word train. It means to have a disciplined training routine. You might be able to say it like this. Have a daily 
Godward practice. Paul says, rather, train yourself for godliness. For bodily training is of some value, but godliness, training yourself in godliness, has value in every way. If you would, go down to verse 15 and 16, because Paul is instructing Timothy all through this. And then he comes to verse 15 and 16, and some people look at this and go, well, he was called to be a preacher, and these things talk about just about him being a preacher. But I would argue these things, once again, are Paul telling Timothy that you are to train yourself in godliness. And so he gives four imperatives. And you know what an imperative is, right? An imperative is a command, and they're a present tense, which means they are to continually... So Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is saying to Timothy, I am commanding you to continually do these things. So if you would, in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You're to practice, you're to take pains continually. You and I are to immerse ourselves. It's the closest rendering of the verse. To be totally absorbed, or baptism would be an incredible uh, picture of that. It gives a real clear deal that you are to be completely immersed in that. And, Kale, where are you? Hold your hand. There you are, man. That was awesome this morning, having your twin brother baptize you. That was amazing. I'm just messing with you. That was so good. What the Lord's done in your life. Thank you for obeying God to follow Him in baptism so that we could be witnesses of that. Be blessed that we know a guy who's unashamed. That's what baptism is. That Unashamed to profess Christ and to follow Him blessings on you but we are to keep a close watch on and here's the last one we're to persist it's like tenacity we're to persist in this thing of training ourselves in godliness this is why we need virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance paul makes it really clear our part When it comes to sanctification and this particular one of godliness, that spiritual self-discipline is the absolute key to a godly life. So for a minute, and this is where I'll end this, I just want to look at godliness in action. So I want you, if you will, turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and for many of you, you know way more about the book of Daniel than I do about the end times, the prophecies, the so many weeks, and all those things. And God put it there for that as well. But he also put it there to give us a living example of a man living a godly life his entire life. Now, you know that in Daniel chapter 1, you're introduced to Daniel and some other companions of his when they were young men. And so for a Hebrew, about eight years old, you're considered a man. So 
you could kind of around roughly around that age were introduced to Daniel, and you know what he says, right? He's been kidnapped from his home. He is being indoctrinated with just occultic, ungodly things. And then he's offered the best food, probably sacrificed all these false gods. And yet Daniel, at this young age, says, I can't do it. I won't defile myself. I can't do it. And then you see all of his life and what he's best known for is Daniel in the lion's den when he's about 80 years old. And so the book of Daniel gives us an example of a man, his whole life and his godliness. You see that. And so if you would, in Daniel 6, you know this is the, the chapter about the lion's den. Hear it again. You probably know this by heart. Hear it again like it's the first time you ever heard it. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 administrators to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high governors of whom Daniel was one to whom these administrators should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and administrators. He was set apart. There was something different about him. Because it says, because of his excellent, or some of y'all's translations might say, extraordinary spirit was in him. In other words... Daniel has been growing in virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance, and his godliness is evident. His Godward life is evident to all who see. Even his enemies, the people who do not want him to be in this position, they realize this guy is different. His life is Godward. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And again, his life is not perfection, but is progressive godliness. Verse 4, Then the high officials and the administrators sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Again, not perfect, But the New Testament would call this what? He's above reproach. They could not accuse him of anything. Then these men said, We should not find any ground of complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and administrators came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, all of these administrators, the counselors, governors, they all agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is not, oh, well, I've done everything I can, and so I guess the last thing I can do is pray. It was Daniel's practice. And again, I hope you don't hear that as some legalistic, routine rut. And the truth is, is every one of us can get into that. If we're not careful, we can get into a rut and a routine, and it becomes lifeless. That's why you and I need to start every day out in His presence. We need His Holy Spirit. We need to heed His Word. We need other people checking in on our lives and being able to speak into our lives. We need to be with one another. And we need to confess to one another at times. We need other people to speak deeply into our lives that we don't get into this lifeless rut. But yet for Daniel, it wasn't. It is something that he had done his whole life. In verse 11, Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petitions and plea before his God. His daily practice of godliness was evident to even the ungodliest of people, and yet circumstances did not change it. And so... Our godliness doesn't change whenever our life gets rough or goes easy or whatever. Godliness is to be what? A continually, a consistent Godwardness. And whatever comes, let it come. But our life is going to be we're acknowledging God in everything we do. doesn't matter what it is that's coming our way. We're going to acknowledge Him in everything we do. So then they came near, and they said before the king concerning this injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and they said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but he makes petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought. He was cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel. Listen to what the king says. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought, 
and it was laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting, couldn't sleep. Verse 19, then at break of day, the king arose. He went in haste to the den of the lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually. His godliness was evident that Daniel did what? He acknowledged God in every day, every part of his life. It wasn't a haphazard thing. It was a continually godly practice. Then Daniel said to the king, verse 21, O king, I live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted God. I want you, if you would, go on over to verse 27. The king is declaring now that God, the God of Daniel, is the true God. And he says in verse 27, He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel, this Daniel, prospered during the reign of Darius and also of the next. Godliness has promise for the present life and for the one to come. And did you hear how this ended? Daniel's not the hero of the story, is he? God is. Because godliness, that's acknowledging God in every moment of your life, the highest reward of godliness is what? It points to God. I just wrap it up in this little bitty sentence. The godly person considers God in everything, seeking to glorify God in everything, who makes every part of his common, ordinary life Godward. His most ordinary duties are done with an eye on God. So what Paul said to Timothy what I just encourage you and myself to do is don't be distracted. Discipline yourself daily for what? Godliness. Godwardness. Would you bow your head with me? You know that the first act of ever being a godly person is to, first of all, know Him personally. You and I got to see this morning, whether you're here in person or you're watching online or maybe you're watching this at another time, you saw a young man giving testimony that he realized 
He was a dead man. And God gave him faith and grace to call on him and be saved. And Kale became a new creature. And today his baptism was what? It was a testimony to everyone who hears and see it. Oh, I've turned from my old ways. And my life is what? Godward. It's only because of grace that Kale or your life, if you're a believer, is Godward in any fashion. And maybe this morning you realize what happened to Kale, what's happened to other people has never happened to you. You have never acknowledged God as your Savior, Redeemer, who can forgive you of your sin. I would encourage, beseech you that if you have not, and this morning you hear His Word and His Spirit is opening your heart, and you have this desire like you've never had before to know God through His Son, Jesus, that you would confess your sin being apart from God. And you would call on Him, ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. He promised He would. And then for us who know Him, our daily practice is to be what? Godwardness. Oh, Father, I pray you'd help us even this morning, even as we'll respond to you through this song. Our every common, ordinary area, things that we would think, oh, that doesn't need to be Godward, but every area of our life, we would acknowledge you. We would recognize you. We'd realize that all of our life is under your inspection constantly. And that out of a willing heart that we offer every one of these things to you. That our lives would be godly, pointing to you. You're the hero of our story, not us. We want people to see that you're the one, not us. So God, I pray that you'd help us today. And even leaving this place today and this week as we walk into an ungodly world, may our lives be Godward. May our lives reflect our Lord and Savior. We ask this in your name.